Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. Hello, I am Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, <laughs> but Dan, those annuals don't count. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics, as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Yeah, and if you want to hear our oldest episodes, including some tremendous interviews with industry legends like Mark Bagley, JMD, Ron Friends, the legendary Tom DeFalco, who I believe we talked to about Hobgoblin, check out our podcast feed, Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues. It's for all of our oldest episodes that have been booted out of our main feed. It has some of our best content ever. In fact, we started putting the essentials list on the back issues. So if you want to hear some of the essential comics we think you should read to become a Spidey fan, go check out that back issues feed. It's the birthplace of our hot takes, Dan. These episodes might be kicked <laughs> to the curb in the uh, podcast feed, but they're not kicked to the curb in our hearts. All right. Well, today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 12, also known as 906. What's new? This issue was written by Zeb Wells with interior and cover pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on October 26th, 2022, in the year of our Lord Hobgoblin. I mean, you know, it's always a good year of our Lord when the Hobgoblin is involved, Dan, so... So, Mark, for those who uh, need a recap on the issue or maybe even haven't read the issue, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happens in your summary of this issue? I mean, I, I kind of want to hear from people who just didn't read the comic, but hear the, the recap that I give and see if it just if it's better than the comic. I, I, I mean, you know, you could tell me. I'm, I'm going to set a standard. I'm going to set a standard here, Mark. I don't think your, your, your recaps are great. I don't know if they're better than these great comics, but they're certainly better than the recap pages in the comics. 
there's a segment of the internet that would disagree wholeheartedly with you, Dan, about how great these <laughs> comics are. So, uh, you know, beggar to each their own. But let's get into it. We are witnessing the aftermath of the Hobgoblin's attack at Osborne's warehouse in Red Hook. First responders pull Roderick Kingsley out of the wreckage, whose guy apparently pulls a gun on them. Norman Osborne has multiple burns and lacerations and jokes that he doesn't need morphine or saline because his body has plenty of proprietary liquids. Insert your favorite Gwen joke here, just like Norman inserted, and I'm done. No! At the no. hospital. <laughs> Boom. At the hospital, Peter confronts Norman about lying about his Kingsley meetup. Norman thought he could handle it, but obviously not. The data didn't check out, right? The Hobgoblin, not Kingsley, beat Norman until he got bored, apparently. Peter is amazed at how dedicated Norman is about his retirement. Regardless, the internet remains outraged by this character development. <laughs> Peter is going to check in with Ned Leeds, and while he's doing that, check in to see if Norman is indeed up to anything shady as well. When Norman says Peter can trust him, well, the data doesn't bear that out either. I mean, literally, it was an issue ago. You lied, Norman. Come on. So Peter visits Betty Brant, who tells him Ned is convinced Osborne and Kingsley are working together, and it's all about their son, Winston. So Ned is now wearing the Hobgoblin costume again, and Betty is concerned. Peter takes the spider glider, I don't know if that's what it's named, but we're going to call it that, over to an abandoned warehouse to see Ned, and Ned has his Charlie Day conspiracy board behind him, and all roads lead to Osborne. Peter discovers the Winkler device. Not Arthur Fonzarelli, it's the machine that makes people think they're the Hobgoblin. And Ned denies the connection because, hey, look, there's another Hobgoblin who skewers Spidey with the glider, but this time it's not a fatal blow because comics, am I right? Hobgoblin tells Spider-Man to leave his pet Ned alone and that he's going to make chub of the skies with Spider-Man. Look, I'm not gonna lie, that's nice writing. The battle takes to the skies, glider versus glider, and Spidey ends up winning. Norman, from his hospital bed, uses his tech to spy in on Spider-Man. And after Spider-Man delivers a decisive blow, he unmasks Hobgoblin and reveals Kingsley. But wait, if he's Kingsley, who is the other Hobgoblin? Surprise, there are two Hobgoblins, and the other is the Foreigner. No, no. It's Ned Leeds, and it's a full 80s overload. Dan! Let's talk about the issue. I got to say, first off, boy, I was like sweating a big one, hoping that Ned Leeds wasn't like properly the Hobgoblin. Because let's be clear, if you're 40 and think you know more about comics than me, you cannot tell me that this counts as Ned being the Hobgoblin. Like, yes, he's in the costume, but just like before, it was the Winkler device. Like, he is not actually the Hobgoblin. Mark, does my case still stand? I mean, I, I feel like you're just digging into personal experience here and trying to use it to justify something. And, and there's a part of me that wants to, you know back you up but then another part of me that just kind of wants to troll you and be like oh no Ned Leeds totally the Hobgoblin I mean you know that guy in the comic book store was right that time <laughs> you just wanted to see me get clobbered yeah. I think I think it's the truth here two Hobgoblins quite the twist I think some of us saw it coming I think you and I talked about it on the previous episode you know I, I thought that this issue was just another solid 
Zeb Wells issue. I just really want to commend the writing in this run. I know not everybody agrees with that, but like I can only tell you my opinion. I think the thing that really stood out for me in this issue is just like the pacing of it all. Like I think when these stories end, even with the short page count, I never feel like I'm being stiffed on any material. Like it feels like a really full, complete Spidey comic, you know, complete with supporting cast and villains and Peter stuff. Like I can't remember the last time I feel like a Spider-Man comic was able to balance all of these elements so well. I mean, I even, even comparing it to Dick JMS where like he intentionally cut down the supporting cast in order to balance all of these elements. But like, I don't feel like Wells is having to make that compromise. Yes. There are core characters at the heart of this Norman and Peter really being kind of like the main, you know, I would call protagonists, if you will. I feel like Spider-Man's world feels alive and isn't having to compromise when reading issues like this. You know, it's, it's funny. I'm going to agree with you, but also disagree with you to an element because I, I, I actually feel like I don't know how well Zeb Wells is balancing things per se, because like we're not dealing much with like the MJ and Paul stuff here. We haven't seen much in Aunt May or Jonah. I, and, 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 but to, to your original point, I feel like this is really good, efficient storytelling. And, you know, I think what, what has kind of beguiled past creators is, you know, you have this great cast and you have these great villains and stuff like that. And it, and it always becomes like this, this balancing act of how do you get everything in? And it's almost becomes like you have the, like those obligatory check-ins that I think slow the storytelling down and then take away from other things. And I, I think we saw this with the tombstone story as well as, as I, I feel like Wells is just being efficient. He's telling the story he needs to tell. He's involving the characters he needs to involve nothing feels wasted or or superfluous or obligatory he's just moving from from moment to moment and i think as a result you you feel like you're getting a full issue like i i I, like i know at this point we're going to get into mj and paul when the time comes you know like it's 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 going to feel organic and it's going to flow into that we're gonna you know we'll we'll have some aunt may and jonah stuff when that time comes so i i, I don't know like I, I i agree with you but i i, I don't know if it's really like this like herculean task of balancing he's done here i think he's just he's just looking at it almost very cutthroat and being like i need to tell my story let me go straight to the heart of it and tell the story. I think it's a good narrative. Agree, disagree. I don't know what, what you want to call where I land on the fence there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, there's there's no part of me that read this issue and was like, well, what about the Felicia thing from the previous issue? You know, like you mentioned those check-ins and we've bemoaned them in the past while also like commending issues that do like a full issue of check-ins, you know, which is to say, like, I think the bigger detail is if you check in so often and don't move something forward, then it feels like you're just treading water or you're going to wear out that the welcome of that story that doesn't seem to be moving anywhere. And like, I don't need to check in on the MJ thing unless something really important happens with it or if it feels organic to the story that you're telling. But like, for the most part, I feel like these stories that Wells are telling are things that happen like over a night. Like they feel very immediate, like... Uh, with Peter kind of like just kind of playing catch up, which I really like. I mean, to me, that actually feels like a classic Hobgoblin story, which is like 
Peter is kind of behind on the action playing catch up as like a million pieces of the puzzle swirl around him and he tries to just grab on without making him feel like he's a novice at this. Like the Peter we get here is acting like an adult capable hero, you know, like for me, the highlight of this issue was watching him like slam Roderick into this water tower and, and well, we'll talk about the visuals of that uh, later, but just like, you know, watching this kind of thing play out in crescendo where Spidey's behind on it, but he's acting tough and, 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 and acting, you know, uh, with the best of his abilities of doing this for however long he's been doing it. I, I don't know. I just, I, I really wanted to commend Wells because I think, you know, even just the cross cutting between Norman in the hospital back with the, the action could really break up the flow, but it never does. It always feels like it's part of a, an elegantly constructed scene, you know, and, and, and I really appreciate it. there's a real craft to like putting that all together into a book. Well, it feels very intentional. There's an element of like breaking up the flow a little bit and what the execution of that might be. But, you know, like when I was watching Norman from the hospital bed, you know, kind of peering in, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to predict or ruminate right now why that's the case. But like there, there was a part of me that, you know, I, I've, I've trained myself in while reading this run to be like, put a pin in that, you know, like like Wells does a lot of stuff very with a lot of intention yes there is there are mysteries and 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 double turns and you know screw jobs and all that kind of stuff but i I, i'm starting to get the sense that you know he lays the breadcrumbs you know as as he's going here and you gotta and you and you have to watch that stuff like that and and be like okay there there's intent behind this move there's intent behind this panel let's let's see where, where we go with that one of the things kind of on the topic of pacing I did want to bring up and, you know, I, I, I in, in, in the pre-show banter, it sounds like you're going to disagree with me. But like I, I kind of appreciated that we, we don't seem to be dwelling on much of a mystery about the Hobgoblin's identity here. But maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, it seems like it's to me. I, I was taking it at face value. Like, oh, here's Roderick Kingsley. Here's Ned Leeds under the Winkler device. And yes, it's it's why is Ned Leeds doing this again? But I don't know. What do you what do you think, Dan? I mean, I'll get into that. So here I'm going to take a page out of your book, Mark, and say put a pin in that detail because I think we'll talk about that in the second half of the show my theory behind it but I will agree and disagree with you I I think there's still mystery to come because I it's a hobgoblin story I'm not going to believe anything that they're telling me and I think there's enough clues here to suggest that something else is going on I will agree with you which is to say I'm thrilled this is a three issue arc Right. I could see this story being a six issue arc and being padded to all hell, but this just feels really kind of like efficient storytelling. And it, it takes me back to like 80 Spider-Man in the best of ways, like Roger Stern and even the DeFalco uh, friends run like wouldn't linger on a story for too long. It was like a couple issues of Hobgoblin year or like the Fire Lord story. It's like two parters, three parters. And moving on and coming back to that story later if it needs to, but at least making it feel satisfying, you know, on its own. And like, we'll see next issue, but I have a lot of faith that this is going to end in a way that feels 
at least if not conclusive, at least like the end of a serious chapter. I, I think 13 has a lot to wrap up the way it's been paced so far. I have full faith that he's going to be able to do it. And that's exciting to me. Like just not hanging around with a story for too long. You know, I think that was the joy of the brand new day run. You know, whatever you think of that run, the stories didn't outstand their welcome. And that was the fun of it. It's just kind of what's next. What's next. What's next. I don't know if that's going to be true for dark web. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh I, uh, I mean, before we we officially put a pin in it and talk more about the mystery angle, I I, I do want to I, I just to kind of tie it again back into pacing and and the economy of, of storytelling here became apparent to me with how they they paced this out and, and and unfurled the hobgoblin mystery here that even if there is still another swerve, it's like the the mystery of who's behind the mask is really not what's important here it's more about what is going on why are they attacking what's going what's norman osborne's role that's the story that they're trying to tell here not necessarily what what random guy they're going to pull the mask off of and and reveal as the villain that's an efficiency of storytelling that you know after the last few years of of comics here i i've i've come to miss and appreciate here you know like 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 we're not going to just dwell over you know like it's this person no it's this person or maybe it's not or i don't know you know so anyway why don't we talk a little bit about the artwork here yeah, well, I mean, I think you were pointing out like the level of details and, and efficiency, and I don't think you can get any of that without like this art team also firing on all cylinders, which I, I really think they are. I mean, outside of a few weird drawings of Peter in this issue, there's one where he's like turning away from Norman that's kind of disjointed and weird looking. You know, the rest of it, it's like, how long have we been waiting to see modern hobgoblin action scenes from John Romita Jr. I mean, like this delivers, uh, like I, I, I thought, and you know, Menez and his colors puts it over the top, but even, you know, Jer- Joe, who we're kind of, you know, we don't talk about a lot because he's, he's a worksman, you know, like he makes the comics read and that does take some skill, but like, I don't often feel like he is stretching himself are being asked to stretch himself. But even here, like he got to do some like cool onomatopoeias and things like that. And there's a great moment where like Betty turns back to Peter and she's like, he's wearing it. And the it is in red. And it was just really creepy and, and, and bold. And I was like, okay, like even Joe is having some fun, whether he was told to or not, but it's the, it's, it is the details that make this so fun to read. And For me, the best panel, like the panel that I thought was like, wow, like this is why I love Romita is there's a panel where Norman is like saying goodbye to Peter or Peter's going to deal with the whole hobgoblin stuff. And, you know, Peter's like, maybe I'll learn to trust you if you weren't trying to hide something from me. And it goes to like a close up of Norman and he says, I'll take it. And, but it's said in a way that could be like the image, the drawing is so precise that you could like, you could read it two different ways, which is like both sinister, like, like he's tricking Peter or that he's like actually being supportive and pulling that off is so hard. And like Wells is asking Ramita to ride this line with Norman and make us feel like we never know 
whether we can trust the guy or not. And for the record, I still trust the guy. I'm going to go on the record and say, like, I think Norman is is a good guy. Boy, like panels like that are really cool. The way they, you know, tear you both ways through the drawing. Anything about the art stand out to you this time? I mostly uh, concur with you. I mean, like, I I thought the the action sequences especially so at the end were really exciting i mean you know it's funny they 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 actually re- reminded me a lot of some of the the stuff that jrjr did with the hobgoblin during the roger stern run like you know i'm thinking like of the of the the fight on the um on top of the the the, the van and stuff like that you know uh, what was that like a 250 or 251 whatever it was i when, think that was actually Spider-Man. friends who did that one was it friends? Okay, my, I, you know, I, I know that. Yes, you're right because there was the handoff from Def- uh, from Stern and Jr. to Defalco friends. But regardless, like it, it felt very akin to that, like the kind of chaotic action going on and just kind of these haymakers these two characters are throwing at each other. I mean, you know, like whereas the Tombstone fight, I think had a, a you know, from a few arcs ago, had a, had a lot of rawness to it. This just felt like more like classic, you know, Spider-Man duking it out with a equally equipped villain. It was very a lot of fun in how this was all rendered out. I I, I agree 100 percent with that. I mean, like you know, from the from the art to the lettering to the coloring, everything just felt like everyone was into it and engaged and wanting to have a good time here. Yeah, I mean, some of the the aerial fight stuff reminded me even of um, Ramita Sr.'s interpretation of, you know, Peter versus the Green Goblin. You know, just kind of like that classic framing and and things like that. And like anytime you can get a goblin fight where people's pieces of people's masks come off, you know, or like the, the, the... the eyepieces pop and like there's like just great image of like Roderick's mask kind of coming off in the water of that water tower pouring over him and his eyes staring through. I love it when like, I mean, people love the battle worn Spider-Man look, you know, but like the villains too, when you can engage with the physicality of the costume, I think that's always really cool to see on the, on the page. I will say, I think Ramita's version of the you know the Osborne suit is still really awkward looking, but I I kind of love it for that. Like it makes me laugh. There's an image of like Peter squatting down on the glider outside Ned's window that's like rendered in like low detail from Ramita, and it just looks so goofy and silly. I I kind of loved it. Like it made me laugh. Fine, Spider-Man shouldn't be on a glider. So if it looks awkward as hell, I'm okay with that. I'm just saying you can't you can't make it work necessarily. I mean that's a that's a visual pairing regardless of how you wanna how you render it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean in the same like tone, it does look cool in other instances of him like you know rocketing around and slinging him into the water tower and stuff. You know, it's not that he's not having fun with it for a while it lasts, uh, which. I imagine it's probably got a few more issues before we lose it. And we or we get like version 3.0, which we, we saw in this issue of Norman with his designs. Although I, I suspect Norman's going to end up wearing that costume based on the solicits for the gold goblin story. But anyway, um, Mark, why don't we tell everybody a little bit about our slack during the break here? Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like a kind of, you know, conversation that would come up in, in, in the Slack for sure, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, our Slack is basically our online forum or, or chat app for uh, everything Spider-Man. You can join about two to 300 of our listeners there every day and, and talk about Spider-Man or any number of topics that come up. And one of the best things about it, I think, is it, it serves kind of a function similar to our podcast or the intentions behind our podcast. I know, Mark, we can both relate to this, which is we don't really have many people to talk about Spider-Man with in our lives outside of each other. <laughs> right. You ever find yourself like going into a comic shop, Mark, and just like talking to the people in the shop and you're just like, you know, I'm probably bugging them. And, you know, I, 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 like I, I, I need like some other outlet, you know, to talk about Spider-Man with. I, I was actually in your shop this week, Mark Forbidden Planet. Do those do those people like you or are they annoyed by you? Uh, a little column A, a little column B, probably, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Uh, well, if, you, if you feel similarly, why not check out our Slack? There's a link in the description to this episode that uh, will get you there and you can sign up. Give yourself a handle and and join our Slack. Um, just this week, one of our uh, listeners who's been supporting us for a long time, Jiggish Jeff Markovics, completed his Amazing Spider-Man collection, Annuals and All, Mark. We've also been talking about that new Ant-Man trailer in the Slack. Mark, what'd you think of that Ant-Man trailer? Oh, I mean, I I, I thought it was really, uh, really cool. I mean, you know, I, I, I have been no stranger to the fact that I love Kang the Conqueror felt the fact that we got a nice good look at Jonathan Majors there I mean I know we got him in Loki too but you know it was the one who remains versus this is truly Kang it, it appears I also love good use of music in a trailer it's part of the reason why Thor Ragnarok as a trailer remains one of my favorites with with Immigrant Song and I think Goodbye Yellow Brick Road here was perfectly used uh, throughout the trailer so I it, it was a big a big thumbs up from me yeah, very cool. I, I thought all the images of Kang were, were really great. I mean, it looks like it's going to be a completely different take than what we saw in Loki, which is kind of exciting, even though I really loved that performance uh, in, in that show. It looks a little too heavy on the, the green screen CGI for, for me. You know, there's still time, I think, for it to come together and, and maybe firm up, make that feel a little more grounded. I don't know. I'm always down for some more Ant-Man, so long as it goes in the silly direction. But yeah, so come check out the Slack. Give us your thoughts on some of these topics. We hope to see you there. But in the meantime, Mark, let's go back to issue 12. I want to talk about the mystery because I don't think that it's all quite as clear as this issue is suggesting uh, it is. I think the Roger Kingsley reveal is a fake out. Like he calls Ned his pet, but I think Kingsley is not operating a hundred percent of his own faculty in this. I think it's like a double agent situation. And for one major reason, well, I guess two major reasons. Uh, there's that line where Kingsley says he doesn't remember being attacked by the hobgoblin on the pier, which is like big red flag. I, I, I'm not suggesting that the Kingsley on the pier was Daniel Kingsley. Where there's a Roger Kingsley, there might be a beheaded Daniel Kingsley <laughs> in his shadow. Um, but like, I don't think you throw a line like that in if you're not like trying to suggest that something else is going on uh, here. Like, cause why, why wouldn't he remember being on the docks? 
And then the other thing is the language of this issue. Both Ned and Kingsley keep talking about sins and making Norman face the past, which Spidey at one point says like their language is being kind of like excessively flowery, I think is the word he uses, or florid. I'm, I'm not sure which word it is. In my mind, the, like, you know, that all of that suggests, you know, like, like the theory that I brought up last episode, which is that, like, I think the Queen Goblin is going to end up being behind this because in issue 92.bey, her, like, that there's a backup in that issue where she, we see her, like, tearing through a bunch of, like, Osborne stuff. And she says, I'll make Norman face his sins and, like, come to terms with his past. And, you know, the hobgoblin being a part of his sins and past. Oh, gosh, I shouldn't use the word sins past in Norman Osborn. But so, I, as two I, references today that we've made, Dan. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard not to. Nick Spencer, do your worst, which uh, some might say he did. But uh, sins past will live on through our commentary here. I, I, I think there's something else going on here, not to mention that very spoilery cover or potentially spoilery cover for issue 11, which seemed to have the Queen Goblin's arm holding up that Hobgoblin mask. It's just the language that they're both saying, like, could be something that the Queen Goblin would say. And then to point that out and and say, like, the language is really kind of florid makes me think it's something we should be paying attention to. All right, Mark, am I totally off the reservation? You know what? Like... (laughs) What I'm what I'm gonna say is, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend that our, our, the available Alan Shurstel is is in the room with us right now, kind of snickering behind me as I'm 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 winding up to 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 throw a, a fastball right at your head here, which is basically my reaction is like, but does it matter? I don't know if it matters. Like the way this story is being set up, I don't think it matters if there's another swerve here. Like I don't think that's what this that's what the payoff is going to come down to. It, it's it's more the, the the story, the intrigue and the drama of the story is more about what's going on with Peter and Norman and Norman and Kingsley and can Norm and Peter trust Norman and why did Norman lie about this and what's Norman doing now and you know whatever countless random you know villains happen to be under the mask it doesn't matter queen queen goblin is such a throwaway villain to me like does it does it make a difference if she's involved in this in some way i don't know so yeah it could there could be another swerve here but i don't think it it's gonna take the story in a in a, in a dramatic direction if that's the case so you know, ha- guess away, but I, I think you're wasting your time, Dan. I don't think it matters to the outcome. <laughs> well, well, I think that's why I said I agree and disagree with you earlier, which is like, I think this is going to be a really good self-contained story that like doesn't take us onto a whole other set of themes, right? And like, um, and I want to talk about this in a little bit because I, I want to expand this a little bit more. I think the Queen Goblin fits, like whether you want to elevate the character or not, she is a living representation of the sins of Norman Osborn, if, however you want to understand that, you know, from the, sh- the magic shotgun or whatever. So, like, it does still fit thematically in with, you know, the story that they're telling about Norman and who he has become, right? 
So like if it does end up being that you're right. I don't think it changes the ideas and themes behind the story, but I, I do think like if I were to guess, I think that that is like ultimately where this is going with these characters. I, I did want to point out one more thing because the final image, which is a really cool image in the last page of this comic of the two hobgoblins there, which like, you know, I, I don't think there was ever a happier person than me seeing two hobgoblins on a page. Like, <laughs> like you know, if, if they do like a maximum clonage, but with like hobgoblins Hob and there's like a, yeah, there's like a thousand hobgoblins on a cover. Like, boy, you know, like there will be one really happy guy here. But I did want to point People out. People used to think I had the problem of the two of us, but I think it's you at this point. I think, I think, <laughs> I, I, I think the, 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 the roles have flipped. Yeah, no, I, I've got, I like, I've drank, I, I got in my own Winkler device and, you know, just like, you know, they are dressed differently, uh, which is an, an interesting thing. And, and it's very subtle, but it's there. So like there's two different hobgoblin costumes. So the first one that's King Kingsley has wrist length gloves and ankle length boots. And the, uh, the, the, the horns on his glider are broken from this issue when they broke off when he slammed in, into Peter. And the second one, which we're to understand is Ned Leeds, has gloves that go past his elbow on both arms. And he has boots that go past his knees. So he's wearing like galoshes or whatever. Um, he's the he's the he's the hobgoblin that likes to go wading and 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 fishing in in a pond. And he's got a spiked head glider. So what makes this interesting is if the costumes are to be believed to be consistent, you can go back to the previous issue and see. Okay, well, which hobgoblin was it in those scenes that we saw? And in both of the scenes we saw in the previous issue, it was drawn with the short length gloves and boots, which is to suggest it was Kingsley that was attacking Kingsley. I used the Charlie Day conspiracy board joke in my summary, but I'm just going to put it behind you here. Like, go, go nuts, Dan. Okay. Okay. I mean, like, like I, that sounds crazy, but like Wells has been a guy who is like fixated on details, right? Like, and like, this is a very specifically differently designed costume that we're seeing at the end of the book here, you know? And like, we don't see who's in the nursery at the end of issue 11. Like there's something else going on here. Like, like why do it this way? If there wasn't something else going on here. So I I just want to throw it out. I'm going to, I'm going to reserve judgment because frankly, you know, uh, the other issue involved here, Dan, is that, you know, we, we, we got, when we had the tombstone and Rose story, we got a major swerve there. That was a really well executed swerve that paid off in a way that that tangibly changed the story. So what I want to know is, okay, fine, we we could play more games with the hobgoblin here, but what difference is it ultimately going to make to the story here? Like, you know, like as far as I'm concerned, you know, what is who is under the mask is is immaterial unless there is some kind of swerve attached to it that makes it material. But, you know, we don't know. So, you know, like having like 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 like, you know, having these conversations now, like it's the it's the Goblin Queen. OK, great. So what? What does the Goblin Queen have to like? Oh, yeah. So the Goblin Queen talked about sins past. I mean, everyone talks about everyone's been talking about your sins in the past for the last three years on this book, man. So great. Sell me on this. Like, like you could speculate all night. 
sell me on why I should care right now. I, I have no reason to care about any of this until until the story is revealed to, to demonstrate why the swerve is important. I just want to point out, like, it, like it's a mystery story. Like, there's some clues here. Like, I, 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 I have to point them out. Okay, all right. But I, but I understand your, I understand your reluctance, and 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 I will say, like, in no way do these clues change my grade on this issue in terms of enjoyment. Like, there's something there. Like, I just want, I want to flag it. I want to flag that there's something there. The ghost of Alan is just on my shoulder right now, like telling me, "Yes, <laughs> he torment is so him turned- some more." <laughs> he is. He has so turned you, or he's at least empowered you to stand up to me, like, like, uh, like he he's a radioactive Alan bite you got, and and yeah. uh, you're standing up to me, my 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 speculating villain powers. Like, I I don't know what it means that yeah. the. the the Kingsley Hobgoblin attacked Kingsley and I could speculate about that all day. And you're right. It doesn't mean anything until it means something, but there is something weird there that the Kingsley Hobgoblin attacked Kingsley. Sure. I, I, I guess for me, my thing is like, let's, you know, let's dissect it when next issue comes out and this is all revealed. And like we say, like, so how did this play out? Right. I mean, I know. What's the fun in that? Great. Why, great. Why, great. Why, great, why, why great. do we, we have a show if that's how we're going to do it? Right. I mean, you know. <laughs> let's talk about the solicitation six months from now and how that's going to impact the story. OK, Dan, like, let's do that next. OK. <laughs> you know, I have stopped reading the solicits because of how much you make fun of me about reading the solicits. So I, I did. I mentioned earlier I wanted to flag something which is like you know as we're figuring out what Wells is interested in as a writer with this run you know this issue to me at least kind of made it explicitly clear that like uh, my read on him is that he's interested in making the characters face their past whether they be Norman and the Hobgoblin or his sins Peter and whatever he did you know before the run started you know Tombstone and his past as a gangster Vulture and his past as a murderer, you know, Ned Leeds, who can't escape the shadow of the Hobgoblin. You know, we've speculated maybe even MJ with that whole York, Pennsylvania thing. Like, to me, this seems to be kind of at the heart of many of the stories that he's been telling so far. And I'm curious, like, what you think about that. Obviously, I think when the run ends, we'll have more to say on this. To me, it's at least made this run feel pretty cohesive so far at least like thematically even if like the tone of issue like 900 doesn't really fit like thematically there's still something there there's a part of me that's like yeah i i I see exactly what you're saying i would argue though like aren't isn't like you know how our actions of the past dictate the future kind of uh, dictate the present i mean isn't that kind of like at the core of all things spider-man i mean you know all the way from you know his uncle ben moment to you know oh if i didn't bring the symbiote back from the beyond world I, we wouldn't have venom to we wouldn't have carnage to we i mean like i feel like this is always i mean something that we're dealing with in spider-man comics i mean if there's a if there's a inversion on it i feel like we're actually dealing more with how this is impacting more of the supporting cast. Although, you know, we, this entire run started with something that happened six months ago and it, and with the, you know, what did Peter do? You know? So this run is so laser focused on it. And I, I like that it's so laser focused on something 
in that I think is very true, inherently true to the core of of what makes good Spider-Man comics um, and good Spider-Man drama. But I also don't want to pretend like we're we're re, we, that we've like come up with the new sliced bread here either. I mean, like I think this is this is you know this is good because it's familiar. These are the themes that we should be exploring in a Spider-Man comic. Those are the themes that Stanley and Steve Ditko I think explored in a Spider Spider-Man comic, and and other successful creators have as well. You know, which is. Another way of saying also, like, it's also too early to tell. <laughs> so yeah, that's I, I, I think I just wanted to point it out because I think it's like how it's doing it. You know, like I don't want I don't think Dan Slott was particularly interested in the sins of the past. No, um, I, I, yeah, like, I mean, I, I agree yeah. with that. I, I'm not saying that this should be that this has been in every run of Spider-Man, but I feel all good runs of Spider-Man bring this up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But like, but like, like bringing it up is one thing. Like, I think that Nick Spencer paid a lot of lip service to send like the sins of the past, but didn't explore it all that thematically. And here it feels like it's really kind of like the essence of the idea behind it, which you're right. is not a new idea, but like there's something really comfortable about this. I know the internet is all hung up on like the Norman Osborn of it all. But I think like at the heart of this is like, really classical Spider-Man storytelling, which like to me, I finished this issue and I was like, man, is it good to be in the eighties again? Like, which is maybe about like the highest compliment I could give Spider-Man comic. Maybe that's why I feel so positive about these issues is like, it feels to be like wrestling with these ideas on more than a surface level attempt, if, if, if you will. I don't want to like discredit or or diminish what you're saying here. I think these are good points. You know, to repeat myself, I like the fact that the, this run seems to be centering itself around several themes and ideas and, and sticking to it and being consistent around it. You know, yes, Nick Spencer paid lift service. I mean, you know, Nick Spencer read some Peter David comics and decided that, you know, he was going to redo it. So there you go. Do we want to get some grades or uh, do we? Yeah, do we let's make do fun it. Of other cre- other creators. I mean, what do we how do we want to do this? I mean, uh, I prefer <laughs> not to either. make fun of other creators, but <laughs> oh. I, I, though I do think Nick Spencer was more emulating JMD if, if it really came down to it. So, yeah, go ahead, Mark. What do you think of this issue? I'm going to give it a B. I, I, I liked it a lot. I could have got a B plus with it, but like, you know, it's, it's also a middle chapter. So let's see how this all resolves, you know? Yeah. I'm going to give it a B plus as well. I, I, but I could very well have gone a minus, um, you know, and I think like if it pulls off the, like the ending, this could be like an a minus a story for me. It's, it's a lot of setup. And I think we got to like, as Alan put it, the fireworks factory a little bit here, I think that the like landing the the whatever the 1080 is with issue 13. Like, did did they pull it off? I'm eager to to see that. I could very well elevate my score on this. Surely you could tell us about the Patreon, Dan. Yeah, of course. If you find this show entertaining and valuable, uh, please consider supporting us. You know, the, the easiest way to do so would be recommending Amazing Spider Talk to a friend or leaving us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. If you uh, want and, and you love our show so much, why not consider becoming a Patreon member? Uh, Mark, what is a Patreon? 
a patreon is is basically it, it is our 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 lifeblood of of this show very very simplistically it is our financial support for the show it's how we pay the bills because this is not a, a for-profit enterprise here it is funded by wonderful users like you it, it 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 helps us to avoid having to go for paid advertising frankly everything that you get here is a result of the patreon and we couldn't do it without you guys yeah, absolutely. And and we've done so many things, not just like keeping the show afloat, but like expanding it outwards. I mean, for just take one example, the music that we feature on the show. If you like ever have enjoyed like bobbing your head to any of our music uh, on the show, like, you know, I, I've been able to pay Rylan Bojack to, to create music for us or Tony Thaxton for his like review uh, music and stuff, you know, or, or or animated intro. I was able to pay Josh Sutton to do that. And that came straight out of the Patreon funds to make the show constantly better. You know, if you're curious about it, you know, go check out the Patreon. There's a link in the description or you can go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and it will guide you right there to the Patreon. There's all these great options, but the basic one is $3.99, the price of a new comic, at least for now. You can put it towards a month subscription and that will get you these reviews of amazing Spider-Man comics that Mark and I do the very same week that the comics come out. You know, if, if you love this show and you love Spider-Man comics and this is a part of your experience of the comics, you know, I, I think an, about an hour long show is, you know, every time a new comic come out is worth $3.99. Go and check out the Patreon. We know it would be really like we're, we'd be eternally grateful for your support. We'll always look use it to improve the show. But uh, Mark, I think it's time that we end the show. End it. Well, fine. It is that time, that time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, uh, like I said a few moments ago, this episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our video version is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until you pack up that Winkler device I sent you and send it back to me, I demand that you tell me our motto. I mean, I can't. I gotta make. I gotta make the reference here, Dan. The Winkler device. Hey. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next